everybody welcome to the 203rd episode of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here and uh i can i can honestly say one of one half of holy backboard has been chilling through uh these games the other one has been what i can only assume is just some emotion monster just pacing throughout his house just yelling and upset at the world (laughs) So, first of all, the Blazers get their split that they needed. I mean, we go back to last last podcast. We said we need a split. Mm-hmm. We got the split. Now, we didn't know that Kawhi Leonard was going to sit, and we didn't know that Joel Embiid was going to exit the Philadelphia game early with a, 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 an ankle injury. So that does change expectations and, and perceptions and, and all of that good stuff. But regardless, Portland gets a split. Let, let's go over the results quick and easy clippers come back uh defeat the blazers in heartbreaking fashion 122 to 117 thankfully we get right back at it the next day we just wrapped up watching the trailblazers escape that's the best way i know how to describe it they, they did their best houdini ex- uh impression and escaped from the philadelphia 76ers grasp then defeating philly 124 to 121 the Blazers are now 33 and 39. They have two games remaining in the bubble, and they are just a half game behind the Memphis Grizzlies for the eighth playoff spot. So back to me. Yes, the Clipper game, I was incredibly tense. I really felt relieved once I heard Kawhi wasn't going to play. I was like, okay, now now this is a game that we need to win. And then you could see what the Clippers were doing. Like Lou Williams got hot, but Doc Rivers sat him in the fourth. Paul George was sitting in the fourth as well. And it it was the Denver Nuggets game all over again, a team we struggled to put away on Thursday. And I just had an uneasy feeling that that whole game, like we couldn't put them away and they were scoring off a lot of broken plays. And it just felt like we were letting the pressure get to us. Um, We start, we took a lot of terrible shots down the stretch uh, Dame missed two free throws that I think John Hollinger said that a person at his percentage, which is close to 90%, missing two free throws in a row is something like 1.23%. So that happened. Not the reason we lost. CJ committed a silly and one on Patrick Patterson, uh, which tied the game. Nurk took a really poor shot. Uh, Zach took a three that hit the side of the backboard. And Michael Green went off. And, and yeah, we just, we didn't look like we were ready to have a killer instinct. We look like we played with pressure. I mean, and we really came out and played a strong first quarter against the Philadelphia 76ers. And I was, you know, having conversations with Olga, um, you know, really chill, like oddly at calm with, with our, our predicament in the bubble. But as soon as Joel Embiid went out. Oh, it was, oh, it was trouble. I was incredibly concerned that we couldn't put them away. We were up 33-19 after one, and they put up 40, damn near 40 points in the second quarter and then outscored us by 10 in the third quarter, which is becoming an alarming trend, the third quarter blues, if you uh, if you have it. And had it really not been for Damian Lillard just saying, fuck all y'all, I'm going to take this game over, you know, I got the keys in the van, hop in, 
I'm going to drive us to victory. Had we not had Damian Lillard, there's absolutely 100% chance in my mind that we do not win this game. Like Damian Lillard won us this game. And I, I was pretty calm, like I said, up until the third quarter. And once they took the lead and they got it up to six, I believe, I was – I was like, fine, if this is what you're going to do, Blazers, this is what you're going to do. But I was I was not happy. I was not happy with Terry Stotts. I was not happy with Mario Hazonia. Um, we he, wasn't like, ha- he was not – he was a displeased person. But I think rightfully so. Like, we were playing stupid basketball, Sage. And I think we need to get into this right off the bat because this is the third straight game where we have faced a team who's either resting players – or without significant pieces. And yes, we were without Hassan Whiteside for these two games with a, a sore left hip, but we this is the healthiest the Blazers have been since March of 2019. And we are playing with something. We are playing for something, excuse me. And the rest of these teams are not. It's incredibly alarming that we haven't been able to just put foot on the gas and accelerate past these teams and leave them in the dust. The fact that Mm. we have had three excruciatingly close games, losing one is it makes me wonder like what's going to happen if we do get into the playoffs and we have to play the Lakers. Like I I would really don't want to have that embarrassment. So either figure it out or what are we doing? I mean, but that narrative of us, not beating the shit out of teams with rotation issues or players being out or what have you has been a thing since the, since the Terry Stotts era, it's just been something where we don't respect our opponent when Philadelphia has only won nine games and we go on radio talking shit, like we're going to dominate them. And then we get, we get flipped on. So it, it it's something with us where we think we're so much more talented or we don't need to respect that opponent. When Joel Embiid went out today, I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to be a lot harder because Jay Rich isn't worried about resting for the playoffs. Jay Rich is like, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are out? I'm going to cook. I, I haven't touched the ball since I was in Miami. I'm going to I'm going to show out. Like just because those star players are out doesn't mean that every other piece is going to think, "Oh shit, now we're going to lose." No, it means that they're enthused because they get the ball more and get to play hungry and you know that's what the Clippers did, that's what the Sixers did. Reggie Jackson doesn't get to touch the ball as much as he did when he put 17 on our heads or Magruder doesn't get finishing run. These guys were excited and happy, and for whatever reason, we didn't just step on their necks for the entire 48. It's it, it's it's not a three-game thing. It's a three-year thing. So does that reflect on the players or the coach? Both. I would have to say both. Like Going back to that Sixers game I referenced a few years ago when Jeremy Grant and Ro- Robert Covington were there, and it was the worst Sixers team ever. We, we were talking shit on radio talking about how great we were. Wasn't that Ed Davis on CJ's show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look no further than, I think it was the fifth or sixth game of the year. It was in Golden State. It was right after Steph hurt his hand. mm -hmm. Steph was out. Uh, Clay was obviously out. Draymond was out. I I think D'Lo was out. And they punked us. Like Jordan Poole, Alec Burks. Eric Pascal. 
Yeah, I mean, my God, like so. This Six game, been... Eric Pascal beat the shit out of us, dog. It, it's it's a it's a trend. It's not like a three game, you know, sample size. It's a sample size that's probably it's a bigger sample size than our starting rotations played together. Like, it's been a thing for a long time. It's been a thing since day one of this podcast when it was, you know, Dame, er- oh, no, Dame CJ and, and Harkless Aminu and Mason Plumley. We lost against teams we should beat. So it, it, it's something within ourselves that's a big issue where for whatever reason, we don't take advantage of teams that are that are limping because of injuries or, you know, other reasons that players are out. And I think that stems from everything. The, the Blazers, it, it, a lot of things, but I think primarily it stems from the Blazers not putting enough of an onus on the defensive end of the floor. You look at the Blazers, they want to outscore you. They're, they're really incredible offensively. They can beat you in a lot of ways, but defensively we have never, been consistent we don't that's not our calling card and the elite teams can always fall back on their defense Mm -hmm. and defense is a tone setter for basically the entirety of this podcast but also these last three games more specifically we haven't came out and set a tone and or excuse me we have set a tone yeah the rockets game i think we set a tone i think in the first quarter we played well against those three teams we had double digit leads, but we don't keep it up. Like there's, yeah. there's really bad communication. We discussed that on the last podcast with the, the Anthony Simons, Hassan Whiteside pick and roll, but it, it happens just off ball. Like players, especially in the second unit, don't know who to guard when teams are running, you know, cross routes, then they're sending people underneath the basket and they're doing a lot of maneuvering or just get- basic ass pick and pop. We get lost, and I think our strategy of being a conservative defense, not putting any pressure on the opposing offense, really leads to us having just okay nights defensively. And that's why the Blazers don't get a lot of blowouts, is because you're, you're never really going to outscore someone and it be a blowout. And not by outscore someone and be like, you know, a shootout, because they're obviously scoring with you as well. So do we just run the prevent defense of the NBA? I mean, goddamn, that isn't it. Perfect. That is a perfect way to think about it because that's absolutely what we do. We, we're basically saying we're not going to give you a direct path to the basket, but if you make a couple of passes or just run a couple of, you know, crossing routes over the middle because the middle's wide open, you're going to score. Like I was texting you, I think the Portland Trailblazers are one of the easiest teams to game plan for in the entire NBA. It still baffles my mind that we outcoached the Oklahoma City Thunder last year because the blueprint is out there. On offense, you do whatever it is physically possible to get the ball out of Damian Lillard's hands. We completely bogged down in the fourth quarter of the Clipper game and in portions of the 76ers game when they went to denial defense. Um, there was one instance where they were denying CJ and Dane because we decided, yeah, let's let Mario Hazonia run the offense in the fourth quarter with the game on the line. His defender was being so disrespectful and was giving him, he was socially distant. Here's your six feet, my guy. Mario had to shoot the ball from distance. And of course it was off the iron. Um, So on offense, we're easy as hell to game plan for. You take away Dame, you take away the Blazers. On defense, if you run a basic pick and roll, we will let you get the switch and the mismatch that you want. And you can 
He can go to work. I don't know how many times I saw Tobias Harris end up on CJ McCollum. And if he wasn't scoring there, he was grabbing an offensive rebound because what do you know? The small guys on the big guy. And that's just a rebounding matchup. We're not going to get. So, so why does Gary, Gary Trent jr. Blitz so hard. Is it, it's him taking matters into his own. Okay. So, okay. Just like what we saw when Nurkic did that against the Denver Nuggets, when they were running pick and roll and he said, I, no more Mason Plumley, no more none of that. I'm going to go and I'm just going to jump it and I'm going to take the ball away from you. Gary Trent Jr. is easily our best perimeter defender. He f- constantly fights through screens and makes it difficult for the offense to get into get into their sets. If anything, it, you know, at least runs some time off of that 24-second shot clock. Um, I, I think that that Wenyan Gabriel, from what I saw today and what I've seen from him since we acquired him from Sacramento, he has an incredibly high intelligence on the defensive end of the floor, especially as a help side defender. He's really good at closing out. I was pretty disappointed that Terry didn't trust him more. Um, I know he's probably not the best offensive player, but he is a better option for us than Mario Hazonia. We've talked about Nasir Little's potential on the defensive end. Um, I think Dame and CJ both try. Um, but again, CJ as a six, four shooting guard is going to face a lot of mismatches, especially if he's going to be switching on that pick and roll. Mm. And then ultimately the reason why a lot of our bigs get into foul trouble is due to the switching of the pick and roll. You get Zach and Yerk out there on an Island against a supremely talented ball handler, and they're going to do what they can to get that foul to get by you. And if they do get by, that's where the perimeter defense is really breaking down and we're giving up so many shots from threes because we're essentially saying, do I help off of my man because this guy's blowing by our big or do I, do I stay there? And they're just getting an easy layup. So I think everything boils down to how Terry Stotts plays his conservative prevent defense and the Blazers will not win a championship unless, as you have said, they bring in the defensive coordinator and at least adapt we, we have seen the Blazers adapt against James Harden and the Houston Rockets. It's the only team they'll do it against, but they have s- success. Like, mm. I don't think we have the best personnel for, for defense, but it's pretty damn good when you factor in Gary Trent, Yusuf Nurkic, and Zach Collins. And I think mm. Dane busts his ass a lot on defense as well. I think the scheme does the Blazers absolutely no favors. And I, I don't, you know, with Jody Allen as the owner, I, I don't know if she's going to have the wherewithal to, to see that, or is Neil O'Shea going to say, Hey, my, my guy, Terry's not getting it done. Um, that makes Terry and Neil feel, I think, ultra secure. So unless Terry changes this himself, I, I think this, the Blazers are who they are. And we're always going to be a poor, not even an average. We're going to be a poor. What was the one year where we were like 15th, Rated defensively. Was I that think the we had Wes, Batum, Rolo? It no, was... that it was like when Yusuf was I guess it was two years ago. Like we had a decent defense. Like, but other than that, it's been laughable for ever. Like ever since the Dame CJ era, our defense has either been laughable and at best league average. You have to be really, really good at one thing. And your defense will go from dog shit to average. So it, it's it's about finding the thing that we did best, do best, and capitalize on it. 
when we were at our best defensively with this team, it was when we were a top rebounding team because we didn't allow for second and third chances. That's, that's another thing I've noticed is you're, you're right. We, we don't crash the glass as much as we used to, even two years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like Ed Davis and having going from Ed Davis to a very small team is a factor. But I, I remember when we had like three – three bigs that could just get the board, get it to Dame and let him run the show. So I, th- I think we got to find what this team in the off season is good at and whatever is built around the core, what we're good at and focus on it. I remember the Hornets went from league average to a top five defense just by lowering their foul rate. Like the same person now, same scheme. It was just, we didn't foul as much. We have to find what we're really good at really focus on that and then the defense will go from dog shit to average and then we can make little moves around it to improve the defense i don't think there's any way that we can make any wholesale changes to our defense in this bubble or in the playoffs no not in the bubble or the playoffs but if you watch the blazers some of the players just lack some discipline i mean I, i don't know how many times i've seen them fall for a pump fake especially on a closeout from the three-point line. Uh, Nurk loves sticking his big paws in there, and he racked up two fouls in a minute and a half against the top center in the league. Like, mm-hmm. had Embiid not gotten injured, it, it would have been a, an even more of an uphill battle. Like, so just even knowing that, okay, I'm going up against this guy, I cannot get into foul trouble. I mean, Zach- I don't have Hassan either. So it's like it, it doubled and tripled the reasons like why him getting into two fouls in under a minute was a bad move. And then I remember Zach challenged Joel and boom, another foul. I I think that we need to really like, they need to discuss like what is a good risk and a bad risk. Cause obviously you have to take risks defensively. And sometimes those risks equal fouls, but I think that they have just a green light to do whatever they want defensively. And there needs to be restrictions in our defensive game because I remember seeing plays where, CJ would jump at to intercept a pass. Then Nurk would jump to intercept a pass. And then it was an easy layup or three-point shot. So there needs to be that discipline, but there also needs to be the freedom. And we just haven't played together long enough with this specific unit to really have those. If I go for this steal, you got me, right? And I'm going to run my ass back so we can make this, this, this switch happen. Well, you talk about discipline, and I think an underrated play of that Clipper game was when Rodney Magruder hit that go-ahead three. It was off of a broken play, but you, you think about it, and I know it's tough because every he's a 27% shooter, but it was a wide-open look. CJ left him to go towards the ball, and that's where the kick-out was there. So again, that one play didn't lose us the game. Games two free throws didn't lose us the game. It was a team loss, but there are little things that add up to Portland – really struggling on that end of the floor and Sage, I want to discuss another topic of interest for Blazer fans. And it's that third quarter Uh, today, Portland was outscored by an under undermanned uh, Philadelphia 76er team, 34, 24 and against the Clippers did a decent job of holding them to 26 points, but Portland just puts up a a pedestrian 21 points. Like in today's NBA, that is really awful. So why do the Blazers struggle so much in the third quarter when 
we all know what's happening. You you get 15 minutes to, to recalibrate, you know, your, your talking strategy, you know, you have to come out like this is, this has been an issue. Why do we see them continue to trip over their feet in these third quarters, especially when the starters are on the floor? This isn't the bench giving up the lead now. I feel like it's always been an issue for us where we're, where we're a kind of a bad team in that third quarter, or has it been a new, a new thing? Cause I, I feel like that third quarter narrative has been a, been a true statement. Um, so back in the Drexler days, third quarters were always atrocious. Like it just always happened. And then I felt like in the Dame era, they came back a bit, but then I felt like we got really strong at third quarters and it just, it's rearing its ugly head this year. Like last year, I don't feel like it was much of an issue. Um, we had a little bit some time trouble closing out games last year, especially in the conference finals. But this year, it's been that third quarter. And I don't, I don't know if they have a case of the yips where mentally they're like, oh, it's the third quarter. Fuck, I'm just going to start regressing and making decisions I wouldn't do in other quarters. And it, it, it's just a mental roadblock that they haven't been able to clear. I'm just thinking this. Do you think it's the, the opponent adjusting to the Portland Trailblazers? In the last two games, I, I, w- I wouldn't say that's been the case. Um, clearly, the Clippers and the 76ers continued to to run their same offense because they knew Portland wouldn't put up much of, of, of a resistance. And so, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers, their, their ball movement, their off-ball player movement was wonderful. You know, they went to the well. The well kept providing, and they just kept going to it. Now, to your point on when we had the ball, what I see a lot of is if Damian Lillard doesn't have the ball in his hands, this team doesn't know what to do. I don't know why we don't run more pick and roll with CJ and Nurk, but that really doesn't happen. Um, sometimes we just like to dump it into Mello for like three straight possessions and let him go, and we just all stand around. Zach really kind of looks awkward right now on offense as, as the fifth option. Um and then but Dame, isn't that his future role? If he's gonna be good, but just isn't he, that his option. What I'm saying is like they're just standing around. Like there's no, oh, Melo's got the ball on the wing, middle's open. Nobody's diving to to the rim to, to get you know. The, nobody's rim running. They're, everyone's almost like they've got their feet stuck in concrete. Um, it, you throw it down to Nurk and you just Four don't know what you're going to yeah. yeah everyone one everyone stands around but two nurk's touch around the rim doesn't isn't the best like really if the blazers aren't running pick and roll it starts to bog down i mean they're lethal when they run that pick and roll because it allows dame to decide whether i'm going to go all the way to the basket if you're playing back i can shoot the three i could dump it off to nurk or swing swing i've got gary and cj on the wings we, we can hit that three so I feel I like think, Gary would be a better third quarter option because he doesn't stop moving. You see him, he'll go from, if he's in the corner and he passes it to the post, he'll run around into to the slot side. He's like the one guy that will willingly run off ball on this team right now because there is a lot of standing around. And, I mean, part of that offense is standing around. But, you know, when Mello's on the left side, there's – a bunch of action we can run on the right side to get open instead of just watching, you know, the future hall of famer go to work or, you know, CJ McCullum taking on the middle and doing a few moves, few crosses, hop, step back shot. There's other things we can do to what about an off ball screen? What about, 
other actions other than watching. So maybe it is just for whatever reason, we get comfortable and start doing, going into our tendencies and our bad habits offensively. And I also think there's a lot of, uh, okay, it's my turn. Next time you get to go. Oh, Carmelo. Yeah. You're, you're in line. Like, you know, they like to, they, a lot of your turn, my turn shit, your turn, my turn. And it's like, you know, I know the chemistry is good on this team, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like you said, you can run a play for Carmelo Anthony. That That's awesome. You can run some action for CJ, not, okay, I'm going to give you the ball and I'm just going to, I'm just going to chill. Like for Dame, I understand it because he does need to take some plays off because he is our whole fucking team right now, but everyone else, you need to be moving. Mm-hmm. But I think the only, who else moves offensively besides Gary right now on this team? In the regular season, Nasir Little was an awesome threat. Um, yeah, but he's Wobbs. he's 18 years old and doesn't play basketball on this team right now. But he still moves better without the. You, I mean, you asked me who moves. I told you. Yeah, who okay, moves. fair enough. Well, right now, he's not in the rotation. It's Rio, and Rio doesn't. I mean, Rio moves when he has the ball, but I, I feel like we don't make it a priority. Let's say Rio has the ball. We don't make a priority to make ourselves ready for the pass. Like, and then Rio just Gary's puts the only one that I see that is catch and shoot ready. Like he watches yeah. hands. He has them up and it's like, he reminds me a lot of Clay Thompson in that, that sense. Yeah. I, I just don't think we make ourselves available for, let's just say we're running some sort of action where Dame's ISOing. We don't make ourselves ready for any type of action other than, maybe a kick out three we don't we don't work together as the other four people in unison or the other three people in unison if we're running a pick and roll these these this these rotations haven't played together we can't i can't continue to blame that as a reason why our offense isn't as fluid and as beautiful as it was when it was uh you know the team that had played together for years but at the same time it's like damn these guys are just learning themselves and you know, like maybe I think Melo is best in that catch and shoot role, so maybe he should be ready for the pass. But I, I think that our offense needs to move a little bit more and make ourselves available for whatever happens. Like we can't have Rio dribble for twelve seconds and then realize no one's here to help him, so he takes a bad shot. Yeah, and to your point about continuity, I think you kind of have to throw that that cannot be a crutch for the Blazers anymore. When you're playing a Denver team, a Clipper team, a 76er team, that the rotations that they close the game out with probably saw as many minutes as our projected starting rotation did this year. Like it's it's minimal and they're still carving us up because they're out there at least they're they're free flowing and they're going to what works. They're moving without the basketball. You're right. We just, you know, and it's it's easy to be like, oh, I'm Mario Hazonia, what are you doing? But at the same time, he shouldn't have been in there, and nobody came to help him out. Yeah, he, he wasn't put in a position to succeed. That, that's not his role. Like, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, when you, when you don't put a person in position to succeed in anything in life, they're most likely going to fail. So, it, it, you know, it's real you know, being the lead playmaker when no one else is moving because, you know, they got uh, our guards are clamped up off ball or, you know, it's 
you know, learning to use the fax scene at the job or using to use learned whatever topic. If you're not put in that position to succeed, you're going to ultimately fail. So it's it's a it's a tough ass for Rio in that situation. It's just frustrating to watch as a fan, knowing how beautiful this offense can work. Um, That second that second quarter, that second quarter against Denver, where we really ran that pick and roll with Nurk beautifully. He had that dunk over Bold, and we had the lob to Nurk. Like, there should be no excuses for this offense to bog down. There are too many options. Like, the personnel is there. That that excuse has to go away. Like, there's this team is talented. I know it's not deep, but it's talented. And if you get other players in there that aren't Damian Lillard, they should be able to run at least a, a basic set. So. Um, I think there's a lot of pause for concern, cause for concern, excuse me, going forward. Uh, the Blazers have their work cut out for them. You know, we'll, we'll go into a little, we'll go into more detail uh, about their next two games. But Sage, Portland is four and two in the bubble. They have set themselves, they have set themselves up for success to be either the eighth or the ninth spot in the, that play-in. Over these last two games, what was something that that stood out to you um, positively? Damian Lillard in that last game took over. I mean, we've been very negative, but we've been in positions to win the game two games in a row. It just happened one game we didn't get there. So there's there's positives. Melo had a ceiling game. He was a huge part in both both of the games last two days. Let's go. Let's go back to Dame really quick because I don't want to over underestimate what what we did just watch because he he said he was irritated with himself. You know, I think as the the leader of the team, missing those two free throws and then seeing the Clipper bench, specifically Paul George and Patrick Beverly, you know, taunt him afterwards. I I think Damien had the, the last laugh. Uh, because he holds the receipts, you know what I mean? You send Pat Bev home in 14 and Paul George home uh, last year. They really can't. They have no room to talk. But for Dame, on the second night of a back-to-back, after playing 39 minutes against the Clippers, he drops 51 points, Sage. He does it shooting 15 of 16 at the line, 16 of 28 from the field, still, still hands out seven assists. And he scored nine straight points when we were down, I think, four to six points in that fourth. And it wasn't until that where you're like, okay, I think we can win. Like, Dame just has that extra gear to make the the right, like, he just makes it look so easy. And you just feel at ease when he has the ball in, in his hands. And I think maybe that's why everyone kind of freaked out that he missed those two free throws, because I don't know about you, Sage. But when I saw him go to the line, I was like, okay, Dame's going to get these two. We're going to be up one. How are we going to play defensively? Like I, him missing didn't even cross my. Oh, once he missed the first, I knew he was going to miss the second. He was exhausted that game. You could tell in the Clipper game, they're running tall, long, lengthy, lanky, lanky basketball players at him. Like the Clippers have the recipe to really frustrate a team like ours with, you know, it's guard dependent on everything that we do it's essentially like dame and cj have to spoon feed everybody else so when they can throw just waves and waves of six seven six eight players at them and it it, it, it makes life tougher for that initiator in the offense 
So when he missed that that three right before the foul, I was like, oh, he's gassed. If he gets put in a situation where he has to shoot, he might miss. So once he hit the fir- missed the first, it was like, fuck, we better get this offensive rebound. He's 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 done. He he looked gassed in that game. And they both hit off the front rim. And uh, I saw a lot of bad, bad takes that, that day. I had to kind of put my phone down and go for a walk. And we did some cleaning uh, in the house. And that I, if anybody knows me, knows cleaning is kind of like my therapy. So we cleaned the bathrooms, did the floors. It was nice to not watch basketball, not ju- jump on Twitter, not read any message boards. Like that was a tough loss. Went for a walk, got some groceries. Um, Olga and I had some wine. So we just kind of got away from it for a while, but the amount of like disrespect that I saw from like blazer Twitter, not everyone, like, again, this is the the loud minority, I think was just so upsetting. Like this guy puts on for your city every day is a role model on the court and off wants to be here, uh, loyal to the soil and arguably the best player in franchise history yeah, he doesn't come up clutch one time, but what about the tens of times that he does come up clutch and gives you those memories for a lifetime? Like the people who just react and don't appreciate, like, yeah, was I upset? Yeah, but I wasn't blaming Dame. Like Dame's, Dame has like immunity to me. Like that's how much I appreciate that dude. You know, when you're emotional about the game or whatever, you're going to, you're going to do some dumbass shit. And maybe those people that said those things will learn from their mistakes and mature from it. You know, we've all done dumb shit. It just happens now that when you want to express your frustrations that your favorite athlete missed a shot or two shots in a clutch time, you're going to, you know, you're going to call them a, a, a choke artist or you're going to call them, you know, he he's selling the bag for the team type of shit. It, you know, it, it it is what it is. People get frustrated. I get that. They're not saying that shit today after Dame saves their ass and gets that W. You know, it, it just, you know, it, it's one of those things like you don't post on social media during these games that have importance because you're emotional. Absolutely. You made you made the stand that, hey, I might say some dumb ass shit. Exactly. Those people might need to do the same when, you know, Dame misses a shot or their favorite athlete fucks up. You know, in basketball, you fuck up like every play, there's a fuck up. I mean, you watch our defense, every play, there's an open shot. It's probably because we fucked up some rotation somewhere. It's not the end of the world. At the end of the day, it's entertainment. Like, there's so much other shit going on. Like, Use this as a time to enjoy the sport that you love, not insult the player that you love. And after today's Herculean performance, arguable that Damian Lillard is the MVP of the bubble, his stats through six games, 33 points, 47.5% from the field, 30, 39 from three, uh, 9.5 assists per game, four boards, a steal, and three and a half turnovers in 42 minutes. Um, Damian Lillard, uh, I think hands down a top five player in the league. I don't think any player shoulders more responsibility from a franchise, uh, both on the court and off the court. 
I don't think any player does more with, with less. Um, he's, he's about the grind. I don't know what else you, you could say about Dame, but another aspect that I've been pleasantly surprised with, you mentioned it before we, we really got into our Dame dive, was, was Carmelo Anthony. And he had an incredible performance against the, the Los Angeles Clippers, 21 points, seven rebounds, shot over 50% from the field, got to the line four times, made all of those, uh, only one turnover in 34 minutes of action. Uh, we all remember his two clutch threes against the Memphis Grizzlies to open the bubble. He had the game sealer against the Houston Rockets from distance as well. And I think he had maybe one of the most underrated buckets of the entire game against the 76ers. They had put the lead back up to six and we ran some action. It resulted with CJ getting the ball in his hands. He kicked it out. Mello hits a corner three, forces a timeout. That shot doesn't go in, Sage. I don't know if we have enough in the tank, even mentally, to, to bounce back, to get, to get the stops that we needed. That three, I think, just kind of, okay, we're, we're only down three. We can do this. Uh, I think Carmelo, who, you know, credit to him, surpassed both John Havlicek and Paul Pierce today and moved into 15th all-time on the NBA's scoring list. Um, he has just been, I think, fantastic uh, so far, playing within himself, and he hasn't hurt us, I, I think, uh, on the defensive end as much as... Today against the Sixers, he deflected a pass and turned it into a score. Like, he, he's making big plays in clutch situations defensively. Like, he can't do... You know he can't possibly do it for a 48-minute period or a 36-minute period, but... In a one, two-minute period, he made, like, a clutch stop here, a clutch steal there, a big rebound there. It's He's contributing to the team winning in certain situations, and it's, like, a surprise every time he does it. But he's been he's been locked in. Um, what do you think of Gary Trent these, these two games? Real quick, Mello in the bubble, 16 points per game, 45% from the field, 48 from three. Seven His catch has been crazy in 35 minutes. Like for a fourth option on offense, um, Melo's earned that starting spot. Like he, he's been a incredible pickup. Definitely proving a lot of doubters wrong, and we're going to need him for these next two games. But to Gary Trent Jr., I think Philadelphia is the first team that actually paid him some respect. If you look at the the, the game, he really only had maybe two to three open looks, and mm. against you know, Houston and Denver and even the Clippers, they were really just keying in on Dame and CJ to an extent and and leaving Gary Trent, which is ridiculous because, I mean, my God, Sage, even after shooting one for six from three today, Gary Trent's still putting up 57% from three in the bubble. He's averaging 18 points. Uh, we mentioned this last podcast only having one turnover in the four games. Well, he played two more games again as the sixth man. Still has that that one turnover. Uh, I, I think Portland is really finding a core piece in Gary Trent. And even though his shot was off a little today, the defense is great. I loved when he got into Paul George's mug, took that ball away from him, and Paul, he was in Paul George's head. Um mm-hmm. That was a beautiful sight to see. He ran the the, the uh, fast break, tossed the, the lob to Anthony Simons. Uh, I, I think Gary Trent Jr. is earning himself a starting rotation 
a starting a, a spot in, in the starting lineup, excuse me, after his performance, especially if he can keep it up. So um, I did a little research on Gary Trent Jr. And he's handling the ball literally the same from the regular season on till now. He's, you know, he's he's basically doing the same stuff that he did in the flow of the offense in the regular season. He just happens to be making a lot of threes. But even though he had a a, a bad game today, he still was a major factor. And that uh, makes me feel good because when he was, when he's greening everything, he looks amazing. But even when he wasn't on fire, he still contributed in a multitude of ways. And it just shows that he can be on the floor, even if the shot's not following falling he can play defense he can do all these other things on the court so you know it, it even though his stats are amazing with like how well he shot like the the intensity intensity of his performance didn't really slow down even though his shot wasn't following and when you look at it at a player like Gary Trent He's someone that you hate to play against and love to have as a teammate. We all remember him getting into it with Donovan Mitchell, um, I think right before the All-Star break. And, of course, got into it with Paul George. He's just, I mean, the, the Blazer broadcast has described him as a gnat, a pit bull. I mean, whatever you want. I think he just brings that fiery intensity that 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 you need, especially – coming off the bench, but I don't think he'll be coming off the bench for, for, so what do we do with Trevor Ariza? With Ariza, you have to look at, I think you got to just weigh all of the factors. Okay. You can guarantee his contract for $12 million and play a 36 year old Ariza for, for the next season. Um, You can waive him and only guarantee him $1 million. You can use him as a trade piece uh, to get maybe a, a younger piece to, to the core. Uh, there's no lie. The Blazers had fantastic numbers when Ariza was in the lineup. And, and I, I really would like to see him with this current iteration. I think he'd do really well playing with Nurk and uh, Zach Collins just because been there, done that. He's been in the league forever. But at the same time, Trevor Ariza is going to play 30 minutes a game. Yeah, and you called it. This, the silver lining of Ariza not being there is, as you mentioned, Gary Trent's opportunity. So with with Ariza, he is like your prototypical modern NBA four. So you could still have next year Dame, CJ, Gary, Ariza, and Nurk. Um, it just gives Terry more options. I think he is probably Portland's most valuable piece to include in the trade. And his age is somewhat of a deterrent for me because you don't know how much he has left in the tank. But at the same time, he's a vet. He's won a championship before. And I wouldn't just trade him to trade him. Uh, so, and plus we have Rodney Hood as well. So Portland, Portland has options. They just really need to get healthy. And, and I think they should need to improve their, their depth overall. Like I really think moving forward, Dame, CJ, Nurk, and Gary can be your core and you can build around them. It, it's, it's insane that Gary Trent, th- this regular season was at a 14% usage rate. And in these three games is at a 16. That's literally, that isn't that much of a difference in role. It's just playing time and showing the world what he can do 
in this in this in this bubble shows his value to to so many people. I think we need to start having the conversation of not is Gary Trent the next Wesley Matthews? Is he the next Clay Thompson? Because everything you're saying reminds me exactly of Clay Thompson. Solid defender, doesn't need the ball, catch and shoot, lights out. It's 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 lofty shoes. I mean, it's it's still it's lofty to say he's the next uh, the next Wesley Matthews. I mean, what he is is the current Gary Trent Jr. Oh, and we can give me that. We we just have to mold him to being the best player that he can possibly be. We like comparing on this podcast. I hate comparing on this podcast. I do it for you. Because the, everyone everyone always uh, compares. I mean, it's not saying that he's exactly the same player as Clay Thompson, but if I were to say who his game mimics, I think he's a young Clay Thompson. And at this point in his career, uh, Clay played three or four years at Washington State. Gary would be a junior at Duke right now. He's already in his sophomore campaign. You know, playing with Damon CJ is going to open up a lot of looks, just like playing with Stephen Curry and Draymond Green did for clay thompson again i'm not saying he's going to be either wes or clay but i think he's starting to take that next leap like the play where he stole the ball from michael porter jr and then went down and just hit that three it's a big time play that's not just a a regular three and d type of guy what i'm saying is i think he has even much more in it on his ceiling it may not happen i like that better it may not happen in these next two games it may not happen next year but he is going to improve. He works hard. I, I just I don't want to sell him short. I'm very excited about his future. I mean, remember when we were watching the draft last year and they said Rui Hachimura was Giannis Antetokounmpo? Like, I mean, that's what, what comparisons can do. So that's why I try and talk about what their roles are as much as I have a chance to. And I, th- I think I, and why I said Clay is because everything you said – is exactly how Clay plays for the Warriors. I mean, I think he scored over 60 points with dribbling the ball like 11 times. Um, he doesn't, Gary doesn't move without the ball as much as Clay, but in terms of just that like quick release, the catch and shoot, and you factor in the plus defense on the other end of the floor, that's his prototype, I think. If, if that, his arc, his 2K archetype, is, is that better for you? I mean, Clay Thompson handles the ball quite a bit too, though. When when he's playing with Clay and um, with Steph, he doesn't need to handle the ball. But you know, he 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 is a part of the offense. Right now, Gary Trent Jr.'s role would be movement shooter and catch and shoot. So you know, they're, they're, we have a lot of time to worry about what what uh, Gary Trent Jr.'s prime will be. I stand but, by what I said. I'm shooting my shot. I think he's going to be a great. Uh, shooter probably a good movement shooter can play defense that's what he'll do for our team and i you know that is a very uh very attractive skill set for the nba and for the portland trailblazers themselves you know gary trent jr stock right now bye 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 absolutely there's there's i mean he's taking care of that opportunity that's presented to him but you know let let the kid live or let the grown man live I'm not talking to him. <laughs> he's living his own life. He's taking those bathroom selfies. You know, he's looking good in the fits, coming to the game every day. Gary, Gary's living. That's the good yeah, part, yeah. Sage. Oh, I know, man. Damn. I just love, I love busting your chops. All right, Sage. So 
your Pelicans and the Kings Oof. have been eliminated. There are four teams vying for two spots. Can we Memphis? send Drew and JJ home? Like, that's all I want to know. Can I mean, we they just probably send... will. Like, God damn it. I watched JJ, uh, JJ play his balls off for four games straight. Here's my top four Pelicans this this uh, bubble. JJ, Drew, uh, Josh Hart, Nico Melli. Those are the four guys that put in effort every single game. Notice who I did not put in those four. I hope that they can send Drew home to Lauren because she is pregnant. I hope JJ doesn't have to stay in the bubble. There's no reason to play them. Let them leave. Would you play Zion? You know what? Play, play uh, Jackson Hayes. He deserves to play. Let, let Zion work out. And I don't know if he wants to play limited minutes, sure. But there is no need to play J.J. Redick, Drew Holiday, each one Moore's old ass. Let's, let's see what Nikhil Alexander-Walker can do. Let's see what Frank Jackson did, can do. Like, you know, this is last week of the, the season type vibes. Get these young guys some playing time instead of seeing what each one more can do at age 30 who's been in the league forever. Like, Hey, you're almost going to be 30 years old yourself. Quit, quit hating on the 30-year-olds. I mean, yo, I, I, I'm never going to have a nice appreciation for a good 33-year-old basketball player who can get you 10 points off the bench. They're grinding too, Sage. They need a job. I would like to see the young guys play more because they deserve it, not older players that could be home right now because there's no point in playing. So with New Orleans and Sacramento out, my God, the Kings have missed the playoffs 14 straight years. Uh, prayers up for, for that fan base. That That is a, a long-ass time to go without any postseason hopes or dreams or success. Do they? What do they do with Buddy Yield? Buddy's going to demand a trade. There's no way he wants to come off the bench. And do you give Bog a huge contract? I wouldn't. They will. So De'Aaron Fox will get a big contract in the year? They're going to be the second worst team in the Western Conference next year. Minnie's the worst? Yeah, they just have, they just have no depth. Well, what if they get Obi Toppin? <laughs> what if they get Obi Toppin and then they could have the worst defense ever? You know my thoughts on this draft class, Sage. <laughs> Ugh. But yes, uh, they might want to just play some of their young guys too. Uh, Harrison Barnes does not need to play 30 minutes for them for the next few games. Try try to see what you have in some of these young assets, Kings. So it's the Grizzlies, the Blazers, the Suns, and the Spurs. I did all of the bubble math. Portland is in at least the ninth if they win these next two games. Now for Portland to move up into the eighth spot, they need Memphis to lose at least once and Portland wins both games. Uh, Portland cannot get into the eighth seed if they go one and one. If Portland wins out again, they are in ninth Phoenix and San Antonio cannot catch us. However, if Portland goes one and one, we need both San Antonio and Phoenix to lose the upcoming games for all of those uh, aforementioned teams. The Memphis Grizzlies Still have Boston and Milwaukee left. Yes, both teams are locked into their spot, but Toronto, who was locked into the two seed, handed them their, their lunch and played their, their rotation players today. Let's see. Phoenix, who has three games left, is 5-0, and the only undefeated team in the bubble. They have the Thunder, the same 76ers team that we just played, 
and Dallas. And so Does Dallas, Dallas is still is Dallas can, no Dallas is up. still fighting for six. They can so, catch, so they can move up. So they'll play their game. Yes, that's why when yeah. we get to our preview, it's going to be a difficult game. And then you've got the San Antonio Spurs, who have Houston and Utah left. I think the Spurs probably lose to Houston. Um, Houston's a team that is playing all of their players. And they, if Derek White's legitimately hurt, that that yeah, they become a lot less dynamic. Derek White is hurt. Houston wants to avoid a, a second round matchup with the Los Angeles Lakers. And then, of course, you got the Phoenix Suns. I don't know what to make of this team. They're playing with a lot of swag right now. Their margin for error is almost zero, but they're they're playing with a lot. Just they've got a good vibe to them, and like they're playing loose, and they're getting a lot of close victories. They really eked out victories over the Clippers and the Mavericks, but at the end of the day, they're both Ws. So it'll be interesting to see how Oklahoma City comes out. I would anticipate the Sixers will still be without – Embiid and Ben Simmons so that should that should be an easy victory but as we saw with the Blazers today anything can happen and then Dallas Dallas still theoretically can catch Utah which is weird because the Jazz just seem to be resting any and any anybody and everyone so this is why as you said April basketball which this essentially is is so hard to predict the Blazers have two games left in the bubble and if they want to continue their season they have to win them both, in my opinion. Let's look first and foremost at the Dallas Mavericks, a team that has struggled to close out games this year. They are just two and three in the bubble, and they've blown leads. I, I watched them personally blow a big-time lead against the Houston Rockets. I believe that was in the opener. And they still have a chance to catch the Utah Jazz. Of course, the Jazz would need to lose two, and the Mavericks would need to win all three. But Dallas is a young team. They want to avoid the Clippers, I think, as much as possible in, in that first round matchup. And Sage, what do the Blazers what what do they need to do? How can they defend Luca? Is it just Luca or Bust with this team? How do how do we attack them? I saw something I forgot who we were playing until you brought it up to me. I saw some report somewhere that they might rest Luca and Kristaps. And I thought it was for today's game, but they played. There might be a chance that they rest both of them. I'm trying to find that report because I absolutely remember saying, seeing that they might rest their starters for the next game. So they went all out and they beat the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, I, I saw somewhere that they might rest their starters, but I'm not trying to project that. Luke has been outrageously good this this uh 36, 14, and 19 assists. He had probably the sickest dime I've ever seen, just casually going through the legs with his left hand, diming up. I think Maxi Kleber for a dunk. Um don't sleep on Chris Stapps, though. He's been fucking really consistent this this bubble. That's true, but I'm also very thankful we have both Nurkic and Collins. To, to, to go at him because this was the game where Zach got hurt the third game of the year in Dallas and we had nobody else. It was just Hassan and Hassan and Chris Stapps is kind it's of so unfair to Hassan. It is really so... poor mismatch uh, for us. So yes, Chris Stapps is getting his, but I like the fact that we at least have our full array of, of bigs that can defend him. But is how well do you think Gary Trent can defend Chris Stapps? Because luckily you for Gary us, Trent from Chris Stapps? was it? I mean, uh, 
Luca. Sorry, other European player. You're all over the place, bud. I know. Maybe I shouldn't have peed. I was way more. I was way <laughs> more locked, locked in up. when you didn't have to pee. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh God, I was so locked in when I had to pee. You just now, had a third quarter blazer brain fart. After yeah, I'm sorry. So, does Gary Trent Jr. How well do you think he matches up on Luca? Because I will say Luka Doncic has bad games when Drew Holiday plays him because he's just so physical. Physical with him. Do you think Gary Trent can follow the leader and defend Luca at a point where he isn't the most magnificent player on the court? I mean, he clearly gives us our, our best chance. I, I don't think you can put CJ on Luca. I mellow on Luca seems like a recipe for disaster. So I think Dame's going to initially get that task, but it's going to be interesting playing the Mavericks because they play a modern NBA lineup. Chris Stapps is their five and they really play four smaller guards out there. I mean, Luca as a traditional point guard is huge, but he could really play with the one through four in this lineup. And with Portland playing a traditional lineup with, with Zach and Nurk as, as the bigs, it's going to be interesting to see what style of play. It's really similar to that Houston game. What style of play is going to win out? Seth Curry, Luca, Dorian Finney-Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Chris Stapps. I, like, the only two players that scare me is Luca and Chris Stapps. Like, I, they I, have laser killer Trey Burke off the bench. Just a heads up, just a fair warning for whatever reason. Trey Burke loves to kill the Blazers, and he's had good bubble games. So that's that's my only tidbit I'm going to offer here. DeLon Wright scares me way worse than Trey Burke. But Trey, Blazers, Trey Burke, it just happens. It's the universe. I can't explain it. I mean. Maybe he's mad we didn't draft him in 2013. Fuck, I, I would be. <laughs> That'd suck. That'd suck. That sucks so bad. Anyway, yeah, I, I mean. Like we could afford, I don't know if we'd have the balls to do this, but we could afford to put Melo at the four and Gary Trent just starts going against Luca from jump. That's what I would do, especially if Hassan is hurt. One, you need to protect the bigs from getting into foul trouble. But two, it just makes more sense from a defensive perspective. But we all know my feelings. I'm pretty sure I know your feelings on Terry Stotts. He's stubborn. He's not going to make any changes. So I... Yeah, it, it's it doesn't make sense. Like, does does DFS scare you at all against Melo, or does does any of these other spot ups scare you in any certain way? Like, no one's going to going to abuse Melo. No, in fact, got- I would be afraid if I was Dallas because Melo can abuse all of those players yeah. in the post. It, it's like if if Dorian Finney Smith is going against Melo mano y mano. That's a dub. It takes the ball out of Luka Doncic's hands. It takes the ball out of Chris Stapp's hands. We just have to know the personnel, know their tendencies, know the personnel that's on the court. You can't you can't leave Seth Curry. You can't leave these dead eye shooters. But you know, put pressure, make make Luka feel your presence, make put Gary Trent in a position to prevent him to do the things that he wants to do like it's it's not stopping luca it's resisting luca the more i look at this maverick team that reminds me just so much of the houston rockets especially in their style of play they put up 53 three-pointers against the milwaukee bucks 
they only converted on 17 of them, but they got to the line 25 times. Sage, they put up 115 shots. Mm-hmm. I know they had overtime, but still 115 shots. Like they are pushing the pace. Um, that scares me a little bit given how our defense tends to perform. Oh, it could get very ugly very fast. It absolutely could because they got shooters and we have trouble staying with those shooters. I think that we cannot allow Nurk to sag on pick and rolls because whoever that lead initiator is, is going to drain the the shot. Like it's going to be an insta pull. Like we can't, we can't afford to lose this game. We really can't. So do some different things. Attack Luca off the pick and roll. There are positions and players that we can cheat off of and, if they're hot, they're hot. If they're not, continue to ta- attack off them. Dorian Finney-Smith isn't scaring me. Like, let's try and do something interesting defensively so Luca feels the pressure and feels feel us coming at him and build that wall against him when he's driving. Like, I'm sure Milwaukee had the same thought as you and begged Finney-Smith. He played 43 minutes, 6 of 12 from 3, 27 points, 11. That's a, that's a ceiling assists. game, though. No, you're 100% right. It was a ceiling game, but... He can still beat us, though. But I guess yeah, but, I of mean, all the options, he's probably the one you want shooting the most. It's just like the Houston Rockets. You want Ben McLemore. You want Jeff Green. You want Daniel House shooting. You don't want James Harden, Eric Gordon um, shooting that ball. Yeah, it, it's just pick that personnel. And, yo, there's games that uh, Alfred Camino looked amazing in. If if Dorian, Finney, Dorian Finney-Smith has his Alfred Camino game, we're going to probably lose, but it's a better chance that he is that low usage shooter that we know and know him as than he has that, that peak game. So, you know, I, I would see if he's hot and if he isn't challenge, like, so my can't let Luca pick us apart because he will. So my X factor will be that third scorer. You're not going to slow down Luca. Chris Stapps is probably going to get his 20 plus. You just have to hope he's slightly inefficient, almost like a Russell Westbrook. Treat Luca like a James Harden. I, I don't think you can allow a Seth Curry, a Trey Burke, a Finney Smith, a Hardaway Jr. to have one of those ceiling nights. That's where you're going to get burnt. That's my X factor. Portland really must contain the Mavericks as much as possible. And probably hold them under 120 and that, that sounds ridiculous, but I think that's what it's going to take to beat this Maverick team. Sage, what's your X factor? And ultimately you're the, been the prediction King. You've been a perfect six and oh. I know. What um, do you have winning this game? So there is a chance that they move up, right? As I'm looking at the standings right now, the Utah jazz with two games left are 43 and 27. The Dallas Mavericks or excuse me, Utah has two games left. As I mentioned, Dallas Mavericks have three games left. They are 42 and 30. If Utah loses both and Dallas wins their remaining three, they will move up. I don't know who that matchup would be. They would probably play Denver or Houston, but um, they definitely do not want to see the Clippers. The Clippers gave them fits. The Clippers have the wing defenders to give teams fits. Mm -hmm. Um, I would assume that both 
that we get regular Dallas Mavericks. Like nobody's going to bail us out this time. Nobody's going to sit. And honestly, I think that's probably that's better for us. That's for the better. <laughs> we got to go yeah. up against this team at full strength. And I honestly believe that the Blazers understand they're in winter go home mode. We have been since Saturday. Our cushion is gone. Whether we're eighth or ninth going into today, we had four or five winter go home type of games. We won one of them. Okay, now we have another one. Like that's the mindset we have to take because as we looked at those schedules, San Antonio might slip up, but the way Phoenix is playing right now, and we'll know right off the bat Monday morning because they play the Thunder, I think at like 10 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, we'll know if we get some help. But I, Sage, I don't want to leave this up for chance. Yeah, think- we, we control our own destiny. We yeah. should probably just control it. This was one where I, pro- I, I don't feel bad about being wrong about it. I think the Blazers win. They Dallas isn't as hungry as we should be. Should this is winner this is winner go home type shit. Dallas has two more games after this. I think that it shows the we have to come out with a killer instinct for the entire game. No huge laps where they can just pile on points. Stay, just communicate better and force them to play your game. Don't don't try and keep pace with the Dallas Mavericks who are just such a beautiful offense. Just play your game, make it dirty. We have Yusuf Nurkic who can be a annoyance to both of those lead those lead players. So I think the Blazers get this dub. And if I'm wrong, Seven and one is pretty fucking awesome. I unfortunately have us losing this game. I so think I'm going to win this. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think this is... Are the, you reverse jinxing us? I don't know. I, I just I pick how I feel. Okay. And given how we've performed these last three games, like we looked so good against Houston and we started off so good against Denver, but we didn't finish strong against the nuggets and we kind of let that carry over against the Clippers and it really carried over against the Philadelphia 76ers. We should be bodying these teams right now with as hungry as we should be. Um, I'm worried about our three point defense. I I think we need to make some changes like we did against Houston. And that, that does give me some hope is how we defended Houston. But for me, I anticipate this game is going to be back and forth. I think it's going to be like Memphis as in the most stressful game to watch. I think there could be multiple double digit leads blown on both ends of the floor. I think it's going to be back and forth, but again, Rick Carlisle knows Terry Stotts. He he knows how to mess up his offense and I would love to be wrong, but I think the Blazers lose. Um, And then we're going to go to the New Jersey Nets, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Brooklyn Nets, who, did what Portland couldn't do. They defeated the shorthanded Clippers, even though they had the seventh seed locked up. They put up 129 on the Clippers that just went final. Uh, Karis LeVert, Garrett Temple, Joe Harris, and Tyler Johnson each scored. They each scored at least 19 points, so they're a balanced attack. They play the modern NBA small ball without uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. Uh, They're really playing with nothing to lose, and this is a game again where if Portland loses against Denver or Dallas, they're not out of it. If they win against Dallas, they're not in it. So it's going to have to be a game where they're focused and they have to take them seriously. This, this 
prior to the bubble was the easiest game on the schedule. But as we have seen over these last three games, Portland against inferior opponents doesn't really mesh too well. So Sage, what are you looking for? Because if I look at a team like the the Brooklyn Nets, who shot 20 of 43 just now from three, it's another game where Portland's perimeter defense really has to rise to the occasion if they are going to walk away victorious. You know, they they, they played uh, today and earlier this morning at about 11.30, their top four scorers were out due to rest. And now, and then they came back after, you know, like five minutes before tip off of the first game. They, I don't know, man, like they, they're locked into this position. They might honestly bench all of their good players and roll out a lineup of Chris Chioza, Gary, uh, Garrett Temple. Shit, who is their small forward? Um, they play a guy named Roderick Curix. Oh, he plays center for him. Silly no, Jared Allen plays center for them. Curix started two games this bubble. He's really good. He uh, has this. He has. He's a dead eye shooter. Let me look. So they started Joe Harris, Krucic. I'm butchering that name. I apologize. Krux. Jared Allen, Garrett Temple, and Karis Levert. And then Tim uh, TLC uh, on the back, and then Donta Hall. Chris Trioza, Tyler. Okay, okay. Because Lance Thomas started at the four for him this uh, most of the bubble. Yeah, it looks I like I watched Paul too much Thomas, bad basketball. Martin and Musa did not play at all this yeah. game. So, uh, you know, they they could rest everybody, and they just they this is this is the Brooklyn Nets B team right now. You know, if if they play all of their starters, we have to watch out for Karis Levert because he is their one real offensive threat. Joe Harris needs the ball to be fed to him to be a good player. They have such limited post depth that Yusuf has to be a major factor. Jared Allen is one of the worst statistical defenders. He'll make the big plays, but he's in a, he's being put in bad positions a lot defensively. So I think Yusuf has to have a big game and then Dame is going to destroy whoever is put at in front of him, whether it be Tyler Johnson, Chris Chioza, or whatever. Oh, yeah. I want to put some respect on, on this young man's name and learn how to pronounce it. So I looked it up. Uh, you say his name, Rowdyons? Yep. Kuruks. Yep. So that's his name. I think Nurk, again, is my X factor as well. I remember just destroying this team in mm-hmm. Brooklyn. Uh, this was right when Portland had that long road trip the previous season when we had Nurk. Yeah, this is the team that Nurk hurt his leg on. Yes, but this was also the the, the game prior uh, in Brooklyn. I know he hurt it against Brooklyn at, in the Moda Center, but... They're one of the worst defensive teams in terms of bigs in the NBA. Yeah, we just ate on the glass. Yeah. So Portland comes to play, comes with an aggressive mindset. They just dominate down low, and Nurk can get some of that touch going. I think we could. I think we're in for a big Nurk game, just like he did against the the, the Grizzlies and the Rockets. So I, I do think the Blazers win this game. I, I don't know if it's good enough to get them into the play-in, but uh, I like Portland against Brooklyn. What do you think, Bud? Oh, yeah, they're going to win. I mean, it's just they just have to treat this team with the respect that they deserve because they do have pro players. I think that they will because they want to show, you know, pay homage to 
Jamal Crawford. There are vets on this team that I know these basketball players respect. So they're going to put in their real effort and uh, actively uh, try hard. So I think it's a 2-0 week, and then we really decide our own you know, journey on the, in the playoffs. And if Portland does make the play-in, that game one will be Saturday, I believe, at 11.30 a.m. in the morning. And then Sunday would be a possible game two. So if Portland is the ninth seed, if they were to advance, they would have to beat that team twice Sunday. So Portland would have to play back-to-back games. I think that's a little much on the NBA's part. If you're going to do a play-in, there should be at least 24 – excuse me. Yeah, 24 hours in between games. No, that's wrong. It's a long podcast, 48 hours in between games. They should have a day off of rest. Yeah, but, I mean, if given the chance, I think that... But Dane loves playing back-to-back, so I'll I'll defer defer to him. I mean, Uh, it's going to just be... Because Jaron Jackson's hurt, it means it's more Jonas Valanciunas, which was the reason we got that huge lead to begin with is because Jonas couldn't hang. So, I mean... If we get to the spot where we're playing against Grizz- the Grizzlies, then I feel pretty good about that matchup. It's just we have to get there, and Dallas might be motivated to move up a spot. I I just don't know, but we have to really worry about who's in front of us and who in front of us is the Dallas Mavericks and the Brooklyn Nets, and I think that we beat them both. All right, Sage, before we get into some fan questions, I want to do some rapid-fire no, there, there's no uh, no dribbling. This is just pass or shoot. The Blazers, as the nine seed, they go up against the Grizzlies. Who's winning that series? Blazers win. Blazers is an eight seed versus the Suns. Is it possible to do that? Yes, I think Memphis would have to lose both. Who? Blazers win because Yusuf Nurkic absolutely destroys De'Aaron. Uh, shit. DeAndre Ayton. I think Damon Nurk would just blitz the shit out of the Suns. Okay. Blazers, Spurs, 8-9. Uh, can I ask, is uh, Derek White playing? If he plays. Blazers is the eighth seed, by the way. They would have to just beat the Spurs. I think one. the Blazers win. Because okay. Yusuf Nurkic versus Jakob Pertl is going to be a bloodbath. I would agree on all of those parts. Let's just hope our boys can make it to the, the play-in. So to some fan questions, Sage, uh, these, these few games have been really tough, especially on the old, uh, the old intestines, my, mine uh, included. But Brianna, at Just Being Beans, wants to know, what's the best medication to take for this high blood pressure we're all getting from these close games? Listening to Wyclef John during games. Yeah, for me, it's after the games, definitely cuddling with the cats, eating. Eating's just so clutch. And then maybe playing some video games, going for a walk, um, oh, going for a walk, cleaning the house. A lot of those things kind of bring me back down and center myself. Um, these, these, these bubble games, I don't think my body was ready for them, how, how close and competitive they've been. I don't, I don't necessarily miss this feeling. It's, it's, oh, you, you, I, I forget every off season. I'm like, you know, Dustin's really common collective during these games. Oh, no, no. Holy never. shit. When they matter, he is a fucking monster. Yeah, this is how we I, 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 I was talking to Stu today. I was like, remember when Dustin yelled at Jamal Murray, you ain't built for this, Jamal? Yes, I do. <laughs> I, you know, he, he's like, uh, I'm so glad that we didn't record 
directly after the game because I knew your ass needed to calm down for an hour. <laughs> I would have been just as, I think, composed as I was now. I was just more disappointed after that one. I was like stunned and shell shocked. Um, I was fine after, you know, like I said, you know, I, I was, I, my mom called and she's like, Are you being emotional? I was like, I'm not 27 anymore. I don't get upset. It's again, there's way more important things in the world to be worried about than this basketball shit. I know we all love it, but I'm just trying to trying to uh, not get as uh, worked up as I used to because, you know, bro, it, it doesn't do anyone good. If both of us are, <laughs> both of us are emotional monsters. Yeah. Like, no one, age. no, that doesn't that do anybody else. No one needs to see me. No one needs to see me other be in any other form but calm and collected bro you don't want to see competitive sage or hyped up like i got kicked out of a buffalo wild wings for in the 2012 lottery because i was yelling too much you don't need to, you don't need me to do this shit <laughs> like dog I, I i'm i'm chill whatever happens happens i'll just accept what happens with in regards to the basketball games so Berlacious underscore M wants to know, how can we better defend the three at Corvallisonian? Corvallis Foodie on Twitter, both good follows. Says, yes, our perimeter defense is atrocious. Is it even about closeouts? It is even about closeouts. We're not closing out. So both wanted to know about the perimeter defense. Sage, any answers? I think it's about communication in the initial part of the game. We don't, if we don't communicate, these are all very talented basketball players. And if they get used to and are comfortable in the beginning of the game, they become more and more comfortable and more and more confident in their shot. If we communicate and make them take difficult shots, it will, uh, it will slow up their confidence in their shot because they're taking much more difficult shots. So I would really focus if I was a Portland trailblazers on communication because we sag too much on shooters. Al Horford's old ass was hitting very wide open threes. We can't afford to sag on anything. We have to pay each and every individual person their respect, especially against Dallas because they all can shoot. So be communicative and position yourself in the right way to contest i think for me it comes down to decision making we saw the celtics absolutely light us up and this is just one example one of their guards had the ball and they were driving and Melo decided to leave Jalen brown just for a split second to help out well he left the hottest shooter on the planet in that game and brown hit hit a really clutch three it's about trust and decision-making. These players haven't played with one another, so there may not be the trust there that if Zach Collins gets beat, that Nurkic comes over and helps, or vice versa. Probably should just trust that he can react and recover and make a play on the ball. And then I think the scheme is ultimately always going to give up really good looks to the opposition. We've discussed it earlier in the podcast about how we don't take it to the, the offense they're allowed to set up in their sets and really play with that resistance. We switch a lot on the pick and rolls. And so when teams spread us out, there's a elite ball handler against one of our bigs. And then that really can just cause a domino effect in terms of breaking down our defense and the, and the offense, if they're able to, 
they make enough passes, they're going to get a wide open shot. So all of those together lead to being a pretty poor perimeter defense, pretty poor perimeter defending team. But Portland's going to have to shore up some of that if they're going to want a chance to get into the playoffs. It's a, you know, the defense puts us at a weird uh, position against most teams. I remember Jalen Brown, if, or, uh, uh, Jason Tatum, if we sag more, we would have contested the the drives better. But we stay in a very weird no man's land a lot of the time. So it, it's a you can't hope for major changes. This team is what it's going to be. So just focus up, play with pride, and don't try not to get beat. Because it'd be a real damn shame if we played so well, won some games that we shouldn't, and didn't make it to the tournament because we've goofed around and took these owls when that we shouldn't, but they show pride. They, they don't, they like, they've gotten shell shocked and they showed pride. And it's something that we didn't see earlier in this year. They, they show that they have it deep inside. So they have to find it one more, two more times just to get into the chance for a play in. Before we sign off, I want to leave you with this note. From, from Blazers PR and Casey Holdall. With 51 points tonight, Damian Lillard is the eighth player in NBA history with at least five 50-point games in the season. The others, Wilt Chamberlain, Kobe Bryant, James Harden, Michael Jordan, Rick Barry, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Elgin Baylor. To quote Michael Holton, who's not on that list? Paul George. Hmm. So keep it talking to yourself, Paul. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let-